take our Bibles and study together as we return to the book of Revelation. I want us to focus our attention back in chapter 14. We see the seven pictures that I mentioned last time, these seven things that unfold the the general details, if you will, of the final three and a half years of the tribulation period and the beginning of the millennial kingdom in which Christ comes to earth to reign for a thousand years. I was thinking about this passage this week as I was studying, and there is a an interesting word in the English dictionary. Uh, it's not used much anymore in our everyday language, but it certainly is dreamed of often. And that word is utopia, utopia. The dictionary defines utopia in this way. It's an imagined place or a state of things in which everything is perfect. It's an imagined place or a state of things in which everything is perfect. Interestingly enough, this word was used or began to be used back in the 1500s when the book Utopia by Sir Thomas More was written. We don't often hear that word used today, but... Humanity certainly is striving for what it means. There's a desire in the heart of sinful man to have a place or a state of things in which everything is perfect. Man's desire in the world in in which he can have everything in order. Nothing seems to be out of place. A, A place in which there is perpetual peacefulness, perpetual calm over everything. A world in which every person lives in peace. No one is poor. A world in which no one is put down by his fellow man. A world in which everyone on every level, at every turn, no matter who you are and what you are, is perfectly equal. A world in which no oppression exists at all. A world in which everything is perfect in every way. Utopia. Man desires, man strives to have a world in that way. And yet, when you open the Word of God, when you open absolute truth, God at His Word and how God describes things, you find the very opposite concerning the future of the world. Utopia would not be how God would define what is to come. The world is not heading toward utopia at all. Rather, the world is heading toward an eternal destruction. The world is heading toward one in which there will come this final destruction. And prior to that will be this time known as the tribulation. It will last seven years upon the face of the earth. And after the tribulation, Christ will rule upon the earth for a thousand years And then he will fulfill all the promises that he has made to Israel in the past during those thousand years. And then the final destruction of earth comes. And God will uncreate everything he created so that he can then recreate a new heaven and a new earth. We have been seeing all of this unfold in the book of Revelation. Apostle John has been faithful to the task that he was commanded by God 
to do at the very beginning, record all that he saw, all that God is showing him. He has been writing down for us and he has been showing us exactly what has been going on concerning the time to come. And as we come to chapter 14, John is shaken by all that he sees and God has reassured him of what is taking place and we have been reassured that Christ will in fact come that Christ will in fact rule Christ is true it is real this will happen Christ is coming Christ will rule and those who have been chosen by God to save he loses none and by God's grace because of God's mercy Even during the tribulation, the life-saving gospel of Christ is going to be preached. Sin is a silent killer. Sin is the disease that all of mankind enter the world with. Cannot escape it. It infiltrates every part of your very being the moment you take your first breath. And yet, contrary to what we often say, Sin does not have to be a terminal disease. Terminal diseases are those diseases for which there is yet to be a known cure. That's a terminal disease. One that you cannot be cured from. Even in our short history of life, there are known diseases that were once terminal and yet have now no longer be in the terminal range of diseases because mankind, by God's grace, has discovered a cure for that disease. So sin doesn't have to be a killer because sin has a cure. God is the one who gave the cure. And the cure is, in fact, God himself. It is Jesus Christ in the flesh. And by God's grace and by God's mercy, the gospel of Christ is preached. By God's grace and by God's mercy, there are those who hear the gospel. It has been preached to us. And many of us have embraced the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we live. The sin sin disease in our very soul has been cured. And even during the tribulation, you see the sin is being cured. The life-saving and life-giving gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached. It's been wonderful as the two witnesses were raised up by God to preach the gospel. And they faithfully carried out that task. The 144,000 Jewish men will be going about the earth during the tribulation preaching the gospel. They have been marked out by God. All 144,000 will come through the tribulation unscathed. They will go into the millennial kingdom with Christ. And now here in chapter 14... Angels have been summoned by God to preach the gospel and to warn the earth to turn from sin to Christ. This is absolutely amazing that God would go to such extent. Look at what it says in verses 6 through 11. John says, And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and sea and springs of waters. 
And another angel, a second one, following, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast and his image And whoever receives the mark of his name. You can stop right there. These are the next three pictures that John sees. Three angels with three messages. And all of them are born out of the merciful heart of God who desires to save. And they are standing, you'll notice, against the philosophy of the day. The philosophy of the day in which these angels are prophesying, in which they are preaching about God, says, follow the Antichrist. Follow anything that is anti-God. Follow after this one who claims to be God but is not God. That that is the one you must worship. That's the philosophy of the day. And, And that's the way of economic success. And that's the way of religious life. Follow the philosophy of the day. Follow the philosophy of men. Live your life in freedom upon the earth as long as you pay homage to this one who claims to be God on earth. While that is being passed throughout the globe, at the same time God sends these heavenly messengers to preach. And they are preaching the gospel. And they are warning the world about what is to come. It's an incredible scene. Let me just outline this for us, just to hang our thoughts on these three pictures here. One is preaching the gospel of God. One is preaching God's word. The second one is preaching the destruction of the apostate church or the destruction of false religion. And the third is preaching the reality of the doom of those who worship the beast. These are the three pictures that are unfolding here right before us. So let's begin to see these together. First, the preaching of God's word. Notice in verses 6 and 7, and I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. You can just stop there for a moment. This is the preaching of God's last message. This is the preaching of God's last message to this earth. It's interesting, in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of man, after sin was entered into the human race through Adam and Eve as they decided to disregard what God had commanded. God, by His grace, shares with them good news that one would come to crush the head of the serpent. At the beginning, when sin started, there was the gospel. And here, at the very end, God is preaching the gospel. 
This is his final message to the earth. It was his first message to man in sin. It is his final message to man as man is in sin. It is a message of warning. And it is a calling to the world to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And specifically in the time of the great tribulation. John says, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. God has myriads and myriads of angels. We saw that in previous chapters of our study. This is just another one. Another one set aside for a specific task, and he is flying in mid-heaven. Don't let that confuse you. Mid-heaven is a word simply to describe the point at which the sun is at its highest point in the sky. That's how the word is used. It's the point in the sky at which the sun can be seen by the most people. This is high noon, if you will. And so this angel here is described at flying at that point in relation to the earth. He's at the point above the earth at which the maximum amount of people could hear him at any given time as the earth rotates under his flying. He is in mid-heaven. He can be seen, he can be heard by the maximum amount of people. And he has a message to share with the world. To those who live on the earth. Everyone who is part of the earth. Nations, tribes, tongues, people, everyone. This is a message for all. I love this because those who desire to reject will still hear the gospel. God's word is true. Romans chapter 1. No one is without excuse. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And God is going to ensure that everyone hears the gospel. Even those who want to reject the gospel will hear the gospel. You share the gospel today. You go out into your neighborhoods. You share the gospel. And only some will hear the gospel from you. Some will walk away from you, want nothing to hear from you. Some will slam the door in your face before you can ever share any word of the gospel to them. Some will even try to make laws in order to silence those who want to share the gospel and call it hate speech. But the fact of the matter is, God is going to make a time when these angels preach and everyone will hear the gospel and no one will tune it out. They are out of the reach of any man. I love this because not even the demons, not even the fallen angels can hinder their preaching. You say, why is that? Because they've already been thrown down to the earth by God. Remember, Satan and his demons were cast out by Michael and his angels as Michael and his angels overcame them by the power of God and God cast them down to the earth and and Satan is one angry person. He is one angry being. So not even the demons can hinder their preaching. This is truly a message of grace. 
Man does not deserve to hear the gospel. Man does not deserve to have the saving, the life-saving truth of Jesus Christ brought to him. His disease, in fact, is terminal if he has no cure, and God is under no obligation to bring him the cure. And yet God, by his grace, even in the midst of the most heinous things happening on earth and the most heinous of sin taking place, God, in his grace, brings a message. It is born of the very mercy of God. And it's a message warning all of mankind. Notice here, it's entitled, An Eternal Gospel. This angel is flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel. By this time in the tribulation, as we have studied already, we know that the world has already faced Devastation beyond anything it will ever face up to this point. We know that by this time during the great tribulation that there have been indescribable and relentless holocausts upon the people encompassing the entire earth so that nearly one third of the earth's population has already perished. We know that people all over the world have been hearing the preaching of the 144,000, the two witnesses. and We know that there is the witnesses of the lives of those who have been martyred because they stand for Christ. Their life of testimony has gone far and wide, but many will still not believe in Jesus Christ. And so out of the mercy and grace of God, he sends his angel to preach. The word preach is galizo. It's where we get the word evangelize. The angel in mid-heaven has an eternal gospel to evangelize those on the earth. To evangelize is to bring good news. We, we understand that. We understand that word. We've heard it a thousand times. And good news here is the eternal gospel. Can I say something to us this morning? There is no other good news in the world. Listen, when you're bringing something to someone who has something that will completely destroy their soul in hell, don't bring someone with a deadly disease, some kind of placebo. Don't bring someone who has a deadly physical disease, a sugar cookie, and say, eat the sugar cookie and it will all be better. Don't do that. That's not good news. This angel is preaching good news. It's an eternal gospel. This isn't a temporary gospel. This isn't good news that's going to get you through today. This isn't good news that might help you when you get before God in heaven. This is an eternal gospel because this is good news that relates to eternity. This is the same news that every true preacher of the gospel proclaims. It's not tainted news. This isn't news that sounds good but only ends up in disappointment. This isn't news of health, wealth, prosperity. No. This isn't news that if you just do enough good things, 
Your disease will go away. This is not the counterfeit news gospel of the Antichrist. It's not what this is. This is the eternal gospel because this is the news that brings eternal life to all those who believe. You see, this is the good news the angel is preaching that God has provided grace and peace. Is it any wonder the Apostle Paul usually begins his letters that he writes, grace and peace be with you all. How? In the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the eternal gospel which preaches that grace and peace God has for you in Jesus Christ. This is that good news. That God has provided eternal healing through the provision of Christ. Don't you just love to hear about this? I mean, especially during the bleakest moments of time. Isn't this great that God, by His grace, even as John is watching this unfold and seeing the history of the Jewish people and the history of the world to come, and he's saying, God is so gracious. Before the end time comes, the whole world is going to hear the eternal gospel. And what better way, what better way to ensure that everybody on the earth hears is than to set an angel in the heavens flying back and forth day after day after day after day unhindered by anything, flying with a loud voice so that everyone hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is good news. There is still grace. There is still peace. To be embraced in Christ. There is still the possibility of eternal life. It's not too late. It's amazing. There's still time to repent. Still time to believe. And you say, well, the message. What's the message? Well, first of all, it's to all those on the earth. It's to everybody. That's easy. That's simply to say nobody's left out. All are going to hear, God's so gracious, so gracious. To the very end, He's calling people to salvation. To the very end, He's using you and I as instruments in His hand to proclaim the gospel. And to the very end, He's engaging the angelic hosts to preach the gospel. What's the message? Verse 7 tells us the message. And he said with a loud voice, fear God. Fear God, give Him glory. Worship Him. That's the message, fear God. Fear God, man lost the fear of God through sin. And here every man is commanded to face the reality of God who is acting as their judge. Fear God. Give Him glory. Why? Because the hour of His judgment has come. Apostle Paul reminds those to whom he is writing in Rome. Romans chapter 3, that no one seeks after God. There is no one who fears God. I read this morning for us Psalm 36. 
Psalm 36 begins that way. Paul is quoting Psalm 36. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. The fear of God is lost because of sin. The sin flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his own sin and the hatred of it. It flatters him. It says, oh, you're okay. Don't worry about that. It's no big issue. Ceases to be wise to do good. You see, even though the scriptures tell tell us that all men are sinful, and the scriptures tell us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, man has rebelled against all wisdom and gone his own way. So God, the gospel calls men to fear God, to give God glory. You see, a decision has to be made. Either you remain in your rebellion against God, which is the place in which you are. You're not neutral standing in the middle and saying, well, I'll decide whether I want to obey God or disobey God. You're in rebellion against God if you don't know Christ. And either remain in your rebellion against God or glorify God by turning away from rebellion to Christ. That's what the angel's preaching. God will give His glory to no one else. The hour of His judgment has come. This is a warning. This is a warning saying to everyone as He's preaching the gospel, you cannot serve the Antichrist and expect God's mercy. You cannot follow after your own philosophies for religion, the anti-God philosophies of I'll do this and therefore God will be pleased with me. You cannot follow after any of those philosophies and hope that you will not be under the judgment of God. You cannot claim to know God's mercy while rejecting to fear Him. You cannot know it. Heart rebellion against God equals no fear of God. The hour of His judgment has come. Now you must choose. This is so serious. The angel is preaching with an urgency in his voice, an urgency to the gospel. The angel is preaching and saying, today is the day of salvation. I remember several years ago when I was working for our government as an air traffic controller while I was going through seminary, I used to fly back and forth from Los Angeles to San Francisco Bay Area every week and There were times in my weeks of study that I was just so tired of study, so tired of talking to people that in my own sinful, rebellious heart, there were times when I just didn't want to sit by somebody so that I would get engaged in a conversation to be with somebody. And I used to fly Southwest Airlines. You don't have seat assignments. You choose a seat. And so I got on this airplane and I I purposefully chose a seat where there was a man on the aisle. There was nobody in the middle and I could have the window seat. There was an entire seat separating us. Plenty of other aisle seats on that plane if somebody else got on the plane. And I thought, this is going to be nice. And God had another plan. 
because while I was almost the last to get on the plane because I flew on Southwest as an air traffic controller under a program where I didn't have to pay for a flight during certain amounts of flights, and they would put me in a seat, so I was typically last to get on. I thought, well, hurry up, flight attendant, close that door, and everything's good. She didn't close the door, and another gal came on that airplane, and I thought, just keep walking, because there's plenty of seats towards the back. And that lady looked at this man and I and said, is there anybody sitting there? Do you see anybody? Say, Hello? Of course not. And so she sat down. She wasn't the most pleasant kind of person to be sitting next to. And so I thought, ah, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll pull out my Bible and surely she won't talk to me. She'll see me as a religious person and won't want to have anything to do with me. And so I got my Bible out. I turned to the book of Hebrews and I began to read. She had ordered a drink after we took off and she had her drink sitting next to her. And she said, what are you reading? And I'm going, Lord, really? Really? And so I began to tell her about Christ. And I said, you know, you don't realize how short of a time you have. You never realize that this could be your last day. I said, you and I are flying here at 30-some thousand feet above the ocean. Who knows what might happen? This plane could crash. Both of you meet our maker. We're standing there before God. What in the world are you going to say to him? I was trying to help her with the urgency that today is the day of salvation. And about the time I was going on with these kinds of things and trying to help her understand the urgency of that, the wheels touched down. I said, don't think you're out of it yet. Just because we landed safely doesn't mean that today you won't meet your maker. You could walk out of this airplane, off the, out of the airport, trip on a step, knock your head, and that's it. It's over. By that time that we're parked at the gate, the door opens up. We walk out. I'm walking out behind her, and she meets some guy there in the airport. She says, boy, do I have to tell you who I met today. I don't know if that gal's saved today. I have no idea about that. God, I think, was teaching me more about me and my own selfish heart than he was trying to help her understand the gospel. Maybe she saved, maybe one day I'll see her in the glories of heaven. But the reality is today is the day of salvation. Fear God, the angel says. Glorify God, the angel says. Worship God. Antichrist is demanding worship. Antichrist wants you to worship. And herein lies the choice. Will you continue to worship the creature? Or will you repent and worship the creator? Worship God. Worship means to pay honor to. To pay homage to. Like. When someone bows and kisses the hand of another. Bowing in adoration to someone. 
So what is the angel saying? He's commanding all of mankind, every tongue, every nation, every tribe, every people, to do to God all that the Antichrist is commanding that he do, they do for him. The world is worshiping the Antichrist. They're bowing down to Antichrist. They are fearing the Antichrist. This angel is preaching the gospel. And he is saying to them, here is the real God. Fear Him, glorify Him, bow down to Him. He is the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. All of which, by the way, during the tribulation have already been affected by the judgments of God. This has always been the essence of the gospel. Fear God. Fear the one who can cast your soul into hell. Glorify God. Glorify God. The angel commands you to believe upon him whom is salvation. Believe upon Jesus Christ. Bring glory to the Father by repentance of sin and belief in Christ. Worship God. Bow down to him. Pay homage to him. God is the one who brought all this into existence and he is the one who is going to take it out of existence. So fear God. So this angel preaches the gospel, the eternal gospel of God, even through the devastation of judgment. God gives a gracious warning to mankind. Believe in Jesus Christ. Come out of the darkness into the light of my dear son. Angel number two. Second one following saying, verse eight. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. This angel preaches of the destruction of apostate religion. This angel is speaking of judgment. And the sad reality here is that it is if many have already rejected the preaching of the first angel. If people would just repent, listen, if people would just repent and turn to Christ, guess what happens to false religion? It falls apart. It is no more. If people would just confess their sin, repent of their sin, and follow Christ, there would be no false religion. It dies a natural death. Death, it no longer exists. But false religion exists today, as it will exist during the tribulation, not because the gospel isn't heard, but because it is heard and it is rejected. It's rejected as foolishness. To those who will not believe in the eternal gospel of Jesus Christ, it is foolishness. It's as if the second angel is saying to all the earth, get out of the fallen system of religion. It's spiritually immoral. 
It's spiritual adultery. It's spiritual immorality. By the way, just so you know, I, I, I don't think there's any reason here to believe that the name Babylon is representing a city here in the context. But rather, I believe it's speaking of the whole system of idolatry. The whole realm of false religion that has rejected the true God. You say, well, why do you say that? Well, you probably remember the name of ancient Babylon. You know that name. The name of the city where it was built by one named Nimrod. Genesis chapter 10 and 10 and 11 tell us of the city that was built by Nimrod. Nimrod was a God-hater. Nimrod built an anti-God city very early in the history of the world. It became the first place where idolatry was introduced as a system. And it was introduced through the building of a tower Named what? Babel. The Tower of Babel was a structure of some kind where the people of Babel were attempting to reach high into the heavens. They were not reaching high into the heavens in order that they might climb into heaven as if they could build something physically tall enough whereby they could physically reach God. No, it was a monument of theirs to their false gods. To their self-acclaimed ingenuity. The book of Genesis tells us that this first monument of this city united men around this one task, this false system. Of religion. Any false system of religion is known as idolatry. It's known as uh, immorality, spiritual immorality, spiritual adultery. And we know what God did. What did God do? He confused their languages so that they could not understand each other anymore. He scattered them all over the globe and they took with them their what? Their idolatry. They took with them their false religion. So Babel was the first place whereby false religion came about. And so Babylon, as we know it, has been the great mother, the, if you will, of all the false religion of the world. And all those false religions of the world will one day, during the tribulation, join together in a final Babylon the Great. This one great false world religion or false system of world religion? Is it Islam? I don't know. Is it Catholicism? Maybe. Is it Mormonism, Hinduism, Buddhism? Some new false religion we don't know yet, whereby men try to work their way into salvation? I don't know. But it's certainly clear to all who are on the earth which includes all those who are part of this false religion, that she is to be no more. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. 
The system of religion is no more. Some believe, many commentators you read, believe that Rome is that city in which this will be the great center. The world's center of false religion, maybe. Certainly Catholicism is a worldwide religion. Islam seems to be outpacing it. I'm not sure. But in chapter 18 and verse 10 of Revelation, you see the actual city, which is the center of all of this, destroyed. Babylon is destroyed. And those merchants who did business with her watch in wonder and awe at the reality of her destruction. The kings of the earth, verse 9 of chapter 18, who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. So the center of it will certainly be destroyed. But here in John's, in Revelation chapter 14, we're seeing the reality of the system of this religion being destroyed. The angel warning the people. And what he's saying in reality is repent and believe the truth. Embrace the eternal gospel. He's following on the heels or on the wings, if you will, of the first angel as he flies and preaches the eternal gospel. Fear God, glorify God, worship God. The system you are in is destroyed. And then really quickly, so we can finish our time this morning, there's this third angel. The third angel is preaching the doom upon those who pay allegiance to the Antichrist. Verses 9 to 11, another angel, a third one, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image, receives the mark on his forehead and upon his, or upon his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in the full strength in the cup of his anger. And the result is this, he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night, those who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. This is gracious and this is frightening all at the same time. It is gracious because it is as if the angel's voice is being heard as the people are contemplating or even as if they are in line to receive the mark of the Antichrist. It's as if they're standing there and he's saying, listen, this is what's going to happen to you. If you receive that, get out of line. Don't take the mark. Because the only thing that awaits you is eternal hell. We don't have all the time to to deal with all the details. Maybe we'll get to some of these next Lord's Day. But suffice it to say this, folks, hell is real. Hell is real. Hell is eternal. Stop listening to stupid people like Rob Bell who try to tell you hell isn't real. Hell is real. If you think you can buy your way out of hell, think again. If you think that others can can buy or pray you out of hell, think again. If you think that hell's going to be some place where you're going to hang out with your friends and party all night long, think again. Hell is a permanent place of torment. There is no rest. There is no ease day or night. 
In case you think, well, after a while you just go into oblivion, it's about annihilation. Listen, it lasts forever and ever. No one who remains in false religion will enjoy the glories of being with Christ. No one. How frightening. And yet, how gracious for God to even warn. God is not obligated to warn. He is not obligated to extend mercy. And yet time and time and time and time again, God extends His hand of grace. God shares the gospel. God shows mercy. You look around you in the row you're sitting in this morning, each and every one of us who is here today who knows Jesus Christ by faith, we know experientially the extended mercy of God on us. And as God's judgment is being poured out, His mercy comes running to save. Listen, there is no utopia on earth. It cannot be found here. It is only found in the eternal gospel. It's only found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. False religion will bring one thing and one thing only. Eternal damnation. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we are so at awe at the magnificence of your grace, the wonder of your mercy upon sinful men. That you would extend your arm of mercy to dispatch by your gracious hand your angelic beings that they might share the gospel from an unhindered place. And all men, even during this most heinous time, would hear the truth of Jesus Christ. That even as they apparently stand waiting for the day when they receive to pay homage to the Antichrist himself, you are warning them, calling them, desiring to save. Now, sovereign God, we are so grateful that you would have such mercy upon us, that you would allow us to be your children, that by your gift of faith we know Jesus Christ and we won't have to endure the heinous judgment to come because Christ endured all the judgment on the cross so that the sin penalty, the debt of our sin has been paid in full. The Lord, we pray even now, we are motivated even more, even after our time today to to go and to share the gospel, to, to be an instrument of your grace in the hearts and minds and ears of others, even if they slam the door in our face, even if they don't want to hear us, even if they turn their backs and walk off, Lord, may you graciously grant them to know Christ. Kindly give them the gift of repentance that they might repent of sin, know Christ by faith. One of us, Lord, has children in our homes, friends in our 
workplaces, family members, that we plead with you to save them by your grace. And while there is a coming angel that will preach the gospel to all the earth, you have given us that responsibility while we're here on this earth even now. To encourage us to be bold in those moments, those opportunities where the door is open. Encourage us to be bold that your name would be glorified in it all. Thank you for these things. Use them to bless us and honor yourself through them in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.